We're in a series from the book of Joshua called Seeds of Faith. And in this series, we're studying how Joshua and the people of Israel responded to God by faith. And we're looking for lessons that we can learn about our own faith and our own walk with God. I've noticed something about faith over the course of my life. When we feel compelled to take a step of faith, very often we start off with a certain amount of fear and a certain amount of worry. And then we take the step of faith that we're going to take and, and we decide to be strong and we decide to be courageous and we decide to just go for it. And then very often it works out and good things start to happen in our lives because we took this step of faith and then we start to meet God along the way. When I look back on the moments of my life when I stepped out in faith, those are the times when I felt God's presence the most in my life. And, and then more success comes because God is blessing our faith and God is leading us and God is guiding us and we're close to him and God is interested in what we're doing and God is so real to us as we're walking by faith and we experience success. But have you ever noticed this, that at the moment of our highest success is the moment when temptation is the greatest. In the moment of our greatest success on the journey of faith, that's when temptation comes. Israel experiences this, Joshua experiences this in the first seven chapters of the book of Joshua. We see this journey of faith. Israel starts off needing encouragement and God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid, do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God says, take this step of faith. You can do it. I will be with you. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is when you don't let fear stop you. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. In other words, you still feel afraid, you still feel worried, you still feel nervous, but you pray about it and you trust God with it. And courage is when you believe that Jesus Christ is with you and he's for you. That's courage. So Israel decides to follow God. They step out in faith and then they experience this beautiful moment of God's presence in their life. As they cross the Jordan River, they take that step of faith into the rushing water and they cross onto dry ground. And it's this holy moment where God says, I see you. I see that you're walking by faith and this is me showing you that I'm with you and that I'm taking care of you. And then they get to the other side of the Jordan and they have their greatest moment of success at the city of Jericho. God gives Joshua a battle plan and they march around the city once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they march around the city seven times. And then they gather around the city, completely circle around it, and they shout as loud as they can. And they all shout as loud as they can. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapse and the Israelites charge straight into the town and capture it. Their faith in God leads them to this place on this journey from feeling weak and feeling afraid to this incredible experience of God's presence and then to this great moment of victory and this great moment of triumph. But in the midst of Israel's success, sin enters the picture. One person from Israel makes an intentional decision to follow God and it messes things up for everybody. And there's two lessons that we can learn from Joshua 6 to 7. The first lesson is about small things. And the second lesson is about the scarlet rope. 
And first of all, the stuff about small things, that small stuff matters. Have you ever done something that you knew that you shouldn't do, but you went ahead and did it anyway, and maybe you thought, you know, I know I shouldn't say those words. I I know that my spouse, I know that this person at work is going to be bothered and going to be hurt by those words, but you just went ahead and did it anyway. You knew you were getting close to an addiction in your life, and other people came along into your life, and they said, hey, this is getting out of control, maybe you need some help, but you just ignored them. You knew that you should tell the truth about something that was going on, a situation that you were aware of, but you kept it a secret, and it ended up blowing up in a really bad way. Here's what the process of sin is. Sin starts with a thought, and then it becomes a temptation, and then you start to justify it to yourself, and then you make a choice, and then you find yourself caught in sin. So it starts with a thought. Oh, he understands me so much more than my spouse does, or we seem to have this connection, or she's really cute. And then it moves into the imagination and you start to fantasize about being in a certain circumstance with that person. And then you start, start to think, you know, my spouse, they don't love me. They don't deserve me. They don't care about our relationship as much as I do. And then you move into a choice and Sure, I'll I'll grab some drinks with you after work, and then you're moving into a sinful choice. It becomes a thought, and then it becomes an action. The tough thing about small things is we're tempted to say, well, that's not a big deal. It's not going to hurt anyone. It's not going to harm anyone. You know, we've had a lot of wildfires in Canada the last number of years, and uh, I think this summer was a record for the number of wildfires we've had. And without investigation, we don't really know what the cause of these fires was. But in 2019, there was a fire in California. And it started on October 1st. It burned for 21 days. And during that time, it damaged almost 9,000 acres of land. And it started because a high-voltage transmission tower, uh, a- along with dry grass... Uh, investigators believe that one little spark came from that transmission tower and it hit some dry grass and then suddenly you have 9,000 acres that were destroyed. 19 buildings were destroyed, 88 buildings were damaged, eight people were injured, one person was killed in this fire. All because of one spark. Let me ask you, what sin is in the spark stage of your life right now? It's just a thought It's just a fantasy. It seems like it's no big deal. Here's what I know is true about life. That one spark will ignite a flame that will bring destruction into your life. In Joshua's chapter 6 and 7, during their victory at the Battle of Jericho, something happened. This small sin, this small spark was ignited And that changed the course of events for Israel. When God gave Israel their battle plan before the battle, he specifically commanded them, don't take any of their stuff. Listen to what God says in Joshua 6, 18 and 19. He says, don't take uh, any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. God said that because he didn't want to have his people become like these other nations. He didn't want them to adopt their values and adopt their behaviors, 
But he also didn't want them to allow war to provide for them. He didn't want them to wage war in order to provide for themselves and live off of plunder. He didn't want them to learn to live that way. God's purpose was different. He wanted them to rely on his provision. So everything happened as God said it would. They walked around the walls for seven days. They blew their trumpets on the seventh day. They shouted, the walls came down. They didn't take any of their stuff or so they thought. Here's the first verse of chapter seven. It says, but Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of the dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. One man, Achan, saw a beautiful robe. He saw a bar of gold. He saw a few coins. And he thought to himself, I have to have that. And and so he took it for himself. He hid it. He buried it in his tent under the ground And he said, no one's going to know about it. I'm not hurting anybody else. What's the harm? But God knew. And it says that God was very angry. Well, why? Why would God be angry seemingly over such a small thing? It's just one bar of gold. It's just a few coins. It's just a robe. No one's going to notice. Nobody's going to be harmed by this. But here's what God understands. Small acts of disobedience lead to large acts of disobedience. God knew that if the Israelites began to tolerate sin, then they were going to be in trouble. We talk a lot around here about God's love, and rightly so. God's love and God's goodness are the most talked about characteristics of God in the Bible. But one of the things that comes out of God's love is that he hates anything that hurts us. And God is also willing to discipline us when we sin, because godly discipline is a way that God corrects us and moves us back into the kind of patterns and the kind of behavior that's good for us and healthy for us in the long run. God is angry. He hates sin because he hates what it can potentially do to the people that he loves. And God also hates sin because of his own holiness and his own righteousness. We see pictures in the Bible of angels surrounding God and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And God is holy and so sin hurts us, it hurts you and me and God and sin also is an offense to God's holiness and God's righteousness. Sin hurts your family, sin hurts your relationships, sin is out to destroy. Sin takes and takes and takes and one small sin becomes a seed that only grows and finally in the end it destroys you. That's the nature of sin. Is there something in your life that's in the spark stage right now? It's so little, it's just a thought, it's just a fantasy. I'm telling you, that spark can ignite a flame that can bring destruction on your life and not only to your life, but it will hurt people in your life that you love the most. So in this story, I see three warnings that God is giving to us about small things. Here he's saying, first of all, don't think it can't happen to you. So the people of God, they don't even know what Achan's done. They have no idea about this, but after they get done with the city of Jericho, they move on to another city called Ai. And Joshua sends out two spies. They come back and they say, it's a small town. It looks like there's not many people. It it probably wouldn't take more than 3,000 of us to destroy it. There's there's no need for all of us to go there. Do Do you catch the tone here? It's kind of like they're saying, oh, we've got this, God. 
Before they went to Jericho, they had this healthy fear and God had to say, be strong and courageous. And, God, and, and Joshua consulted God about a battle plan and they consecrated themselves and they purified themselves to prepare for what was to come. But now they've had this taste of success and they stop doing the small things that lead to success and Joshua doesn't consult God here. And, and he just says, we've got this. The odds are in our favor. We've got the numbers. He was so overconfident and they attacked the city of Ai, not realizing that God was no longer with them. And here's what it says. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. Then it says the Israelites were paralyzed with fear and their courage melted away. Just look at that phrase, their courage melted away. You ever had something happen where you were all fired up? You were, you, were, you, were, you were all ready to go. You were just like passionate about it. And you were like, yeah, God's with me. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do this thing. And, and suddenly you get into it and you realize, actually, I didn't pray about this. I didn't really plan ahead for this. I don't know what's happening, but I just, I just get this sense that God's not with me in this. And your, your courage just kind of melts away. That's what happens to the Israelites. They get soundly defeated in this battle. Psalm 20 says, some nations boast about their chariots, some boast about their horses. Horses. Modern day translation, some trust in their money, some trust in their skills, some trust in their past success, some trust in their ability to manage the moment and convince people to do what they want. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. In other words, they, they trust in their own ability to take care of themselves, to fight their battles themselves. We've got the numbers, we've got the power, we've got the money, we've got the resources, we can do it on our own strength, but some trust in the name of the Lord our God. That was Joshua. Joshua was trying, was trusting in his people. He was trusting in his own strength. We've got the numbers, we've got the battle. This is gonna be easy. He was overconfident. It's, it's like that couple, have you ever heard? Maybe you were like this. I actually remember saying something similar to this before I had kids, but it's like that couple who haven't had kids yet and they say, oh, our kids are never gonna have a meltdown in Walmart. <laughs> you, ever, you ever said that before you had kids or you know, thought that? Uh, you know, I, I've got this all figured out. I know how to solve this problem. Before we go into Walmart, I'm just gonna say, hey, you're not gonna get anything, so don't even ask. And, and, you know, that's going to work, right? And they say that before the kids come, but it's a different story after the kids come. And it isn't how that most, most of us are. We say to ourselves, oh, that's not going to happen to me. That's not going to happen in my marriage. Maybe for other people, but not mine. That's not going to happen to my kids. That's not going to happen to me. I mean, I see other people struggle with that, but that could never happen in my life. There's you know, there's lots of doors in life that we can choose to walk through and they look fun and they look exciting and from a distance, but when you get closer, you start to realize, hey, wait a minute, actually this door is not a great door to go through. It actually might be a trap. And then you say, well, I'm gonna do it one time. I, I, I'm, I've already got myself here. I'm gonna just walk through this door one time or you feel pressure from people that are around you. They're saying, oh, just do it. Just go for it. Don't worry about it. And you don't want to take that walk of shame where you're turning away and walking away from that door, walking away from doing it. Do you know how many people are, have said, I, I'm just going to do this one time. 
I'm at a better place now. I'm just going to have one. I'll be fine. Trust me. It's the person that says, you know, I know we're trying to save money, but I want this. I need this. I know that this is out of my price range, but I know we're going to have to go into a little bit of debt to do this, but I just need to have it. And next thing you know, you're sliding into financial stress. Is there a door in your life like that right now? It looks fun. It looks exciting. You've been there. You've been trying to talk yourself out of maybe even going through that door, but you know it's a trap. And at some point, you have to recognize that if you open that door, if you go through that door, you're going to slide. And your reputation and your future, just like that, is going to slide. That's why we have to say, hold up. I'm not going to go through that door. I'm not even going to get close to that door. Craig Groeschel, Pastor Craig Groeschel says this. He says, why even bother fooling around with temptation when you're eventually going to have to say no to it anyway? So why bother even fooling around with it? Because it only gets harder to say no later on. In fact, the easiest time to say no is before it really starts. So resist that thought, resist that fantasy, resist that temptation, resist that thing in your life. It's much easier to resist before you go into the door than after the door is closed behind you. Is there a door in your life right now that you need to walk away from? You, you know it, you know that you are getting too close, you know that this is not turning out well and you've, you've got to go, hold on. I'm I'm not even going to get close to that anymore. I'm going to stay away from that. Don't think it couldn't happen to you. Every single one of us is vulnerable. Don't think, no, that would never happen to me because it can. Here's the second warning that I see in this story. Don't blame someone else. So the Israelites get routed at Ai. Joshua is furious, but he's not furious at himself, and he's not furious at Achan, He's angry at God. And look at what he says to God. Joshua cries out. He says, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the river if you were going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content on the other side. It's this harsh accusation. He's essentially saying to God, You can't be trusted. You said that we could go into the promised land and you would help us, and that's not true. You just brought us here to kill us. God talks back right away to Joshua. God says, Israel has broken my covenant. Israel has sinned. They've stolen things that I commanded them not to steal. And they've not only stolen them, but they've hid them and lied about it. And Joshua was oblivious to the damage that Achan's disobedience had caused. And I wonder today, how many of us are oblivious to the damage that our disobedience is causing? You know, sometimes we're oblivious to the damage that our disobedience causes. I wonder how many of us are oblivious to the fact that it's our anger that's causing our kids to crash at school. Oblivious to the fact that it's our sarcasm that's causing problems in our relationships. Oblivious to the fact that it's our inability to apologize that is hindering our marriage. Let me ask you, what's it like to be on the other side of you? What's it like to be on the other side of you? When you're at work or when you're stressed, do you know what it's like to be on the other side? I I just want you to picture 
Picture yourself kind of at your worst moment. <laughs> Picture the things that you say, the ways that you act, the, the tone of voice that you use, and picture what it must be like to be on the other side of that and watching you and hearing you say these things and do these things. What's it like to be on the other side of you? If every single one of us could identify one sin that's damaging the people that you love, and then we made a plan to get rid of it in your life, I would feel like this message was a success. Don't blame other people. It's not your kid's issue. It's not your boss's issue. It's not your spouse's issue. It's your issue. This is not your circumstances. These are things that you have to take responsibility for. Here's the third thing that I see in this story. Kill sin before it kills you. So right before God reveals to Joshua who the guilty party is, here's what he says to Joshua. He says, that's why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. God promised his presence as long as they obeyed, as long as they trusted God. Why is this such a big deal to God? Why is God making such a big deal about one small thing? Well, here's the story behind that. Israel has been promised this land because the people of the land were doing evil in God's eyes. And one of the reasons God sent Israel into the land is because these people in the city of Jericho and other cities continued to do evil and refused to repent. One of their practices was a form of child sacrifice. They worshiped a God named Molech, and they believed that Molech desired child sacrifices. One of the things they would do when they built a city or they built a wall or a, 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 a gate or they built a temple they would sacrifice one of their young children to Molech, believing that Molech would bless them because of that sacrifice. When they excavated the walls of Jericho, they discovered the remains of small children in clay jars. And these children were set into these jars and placed in the walls as the walls were being built, and they died in this jar surrounded by hardening clay. So that's the kind of evil that people are doing, sacrificing their children to other gods. This is where sin has taken them. Maybe it started with small things. Gradually, it became this culture that regularly practices the sacrifice of their children. This is why God is trying to purge the land of these people, they've refused to repent. They keep on doing this over and over and over again. And God says, I've had enough of their sin. And he says in Israel in to purge the land of evil. And at the same time, God is not about to let Israel start to sin while they are purifying the land. So God takes a really hard stand on the small things and he's sending a message, kill sin before it kills you. Kill sin before it leads you to do things, to say things, to act in ways that you would never imagine that you could do in two years if you let this spark continue to grow. Kill sin before it kills you. What, what is it that you need to remove today so that you can walk in God's victory tomorrow? What sin is in your life that you need to kill before it kills you? 
Maybe it's your envy. Maybe it's your greed. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your lust. But what needs to be removed from your life so that you can experience God's victory tomorrow? What is it that you need to confess today so that you can walk in God's forgiveness tomorrow? Achan never owned up to what he did wrong. In fact, God had Joshua line up every person in the nation of Israel, and then he said, okay, the guilty person is in that tribe right there. And so that tribe stepped forward. And then he said, the guilty person is in that clan of that tribe, and that clan stepped forward. Then he said, okay, the, the guilty person is in that family of that clan of that tribe, and then the family stepped forward. So just think about how long all of this would take. Achan had all of the time in the world to raise his hand and say, it was me. I repent. I am so sorry. I did this. I caused this destruction to happen. Please forgive me. He had all the time in the world to do that, but he never did. There's a difference between being sorry you got caught and being sorry that you did it. Some of you know what this is like. Your spouse got caught. Your boss got caught. They might even have a lot of emotion around that. And there were tears. And those tears were not because they were sorry that they had sinned. Those tears were because they were sorry that they had been exposed. And they got caught. They never had a moment where they said, you know, I have sinned against you. And I have harmed you. And I have hurt you. I've sinned against God. And I am so sorry. And, and I'm going to repent, and I'm going to move in the opposite direction. Here's what finally happened. Joshua looked at Achan and said, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Joshua finally had to confront Achan and say, You need to tell the truth. And maybe there's somebody in your life, you need to confront them and say, You need, you need to tell me the truth. Something's going on in your life. Something's happening here. You need to talk about this. Don't hide it from me. Abraham replied, he said, I've sinned against the Lord. I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold. I wanted them so much that I took them. What a sad statement. I wanted them so much that I took them. Never mind that this was going to hurt my family. Never mind that this was going to affect the entire nation. I wanted it. It's about me. I want, I need, I have to have. And that one decision to do something that he knew God didn't want him to do led to his entire family being put to death. I remember the first time I read this story in Joshua 7, thinking, whoa, how could God allow that to happen? It's such a small thing. But God understood he wanted his people to be the light of the world, and they couldn't be the light of the world if they were tolerating sin and he knew that the penalty of sin is death, and friends, the penalty of sin is still death. The penalty of sinning against a perfect, loving, and holy God is still death, but Jesus Christ died on the cross to take the penalty of our sins. He took on our sins, and in exchange, he gave us his righteousness, and he paid the price for our sin, and he gives you and me the hope of eternal life, and this is where the scarlet rope comes into the story. As the walls of Jericho come down, we see a foreshadowing of God's plan of salvation. There's this lady named Rahab. 
And you remember these two spies that Jesus, or that, sorry, that Joshua sent out ahead to scout out Jericho? Well, this lady named Rahab, she believed in God and she protected the two spies while they were in the city. And the two spies told her, when we come into the land, leave a scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you'd let us down and get all your family members into your house. And when the walls fall down, you'll be saved. She was gonna be saved not because she was a righteous person. She was gonna be saved not because she was a good person. She was a, a prostitute. She was part of this culture that's worshiping this God of Molech. She's done some sinning. She's as evil as you and I are. There's nothing special about her. The only thing she has going for her is she puts her faith in God. She makes the choice to believe in God. She makes the choice to serve God. And as the walls come down, the part of the walls where her house sits is saved. The part of the walls where her house is is not destroyed. Not because of what she's done, but because of her faith in God. And this scarlet rope is a foreshadowing of Jesus. The way that Rahab is saved is the same way that you and I can be saved. I just want to close by reading Psalm 23. It's this psalm about the possibility of what can happen in our lives when you and I put our trust in Jesus Christ. And some of us have done this. Some of you have put your trust in Jesus Christ many years ago. Some of you in the past year, you've put your trust in Jesus. Listen to what this psalm has to say. I just want you to just maybe just close your eyes and just receive this and just listen to this word and listen to what Psalm 32 has to say. It says, oh, what joy for those whose sins have been forgiven, whose sin has been put out of sight. What joy comes when we know we've been forgiven and that you're free before God? Has your sin been put out of sight? Has your sin been dealt with or are you still carrying your sin around with you? Has it become a burden to you? What joy for those whose record has been cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Is there something in your life that you're hiding and maybe today you wanna stop hiding? Maybe today you wanna have your guilt cleared away so that you can live your life in complete honesty. The psalm goes on to say, when I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable. I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed my sins to God and stopped trying to hide my guilt. Maybe that's what some of you need to do today. You need to say, finally, I'm gonna stop hiding I'm gonna confess this thing to God. I'm going to confess this to somebody in my life. I'm gonna go into the prayer room after the service and I'm gonna to talk to somebody in there and I'm gonna have them pray with me because I need to stop hiding this. I need to talk to somebody. Psalm continues, I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me of all my guilt is gone. What a powerful statement. All my guilt is gone. Can you say that today? Can you say all my guilt is gone? The guilt of sin is far worse than anything else. Jesus says, if you put your trust in me, you have the promise of life. You have the hope of eternal life. I want that for each and every one of us today, that you would get your heart right before God. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer today. 
to put your faith in Jesus, if you've never done this before, and you want assurance that no matter what happens to you in this life, you can know that your sins are forgiven and all your guilt is gone, I want to lead you through this prayer. If that's you, just pray it along with me as the words will be up on the screen. Just pray it along with me. If, if you, just, you just want to take this step and you want to pray this prayer of dedication to Jesus, here it goes like this. Just whisper it along with me. Pray it along with me if that's you. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I finally confess to you that I'm a sinner and I ask you, Lord, that you would forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died to forgive me for the penalty that my sins deserved. And by putting my trust in Jesus, I have the promise of eternal life. God, would you save me today? Would you give me the hope and assurance to know that whatever happens in our world, that I have the hope and assurance of heaven with you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's a prayer that you prayed this morning or the desire of your heart, please go and talk to somebody in the prayer room. It's just this room, just before you leave the worship center in these middle doors here, it's the room right beside there. Just stop by and talk to somebody in the prayer room. We would love to help you on your journey as you continue to walk with God. And and if there's something that's on your heart and you trust in Jesus, but you just need to talk to somebody about it, go to the prayer room, talk to a friend, find one of the pastors. We would love to sit down and talk with you and share. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you his perfect peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a fantastic Sunday. We'll see you again next week. Take care.